Um, you don't even want to know, but I've been so deep in Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Oh, really? Actually, yeah, because I'm just like going on, I guess like for my lesson today, I'm talking about motivation, but it's really just going to be more of a rant because like all of my romance author friends or like my peers at Radish are posting about their like Scaretober, like, you know, autumnal romance stuff. And part of me is just like why can't you just sell out and write all of that stuff? You know, you're wasting your time on these stories and like all of that kind of stuff. So. Hello, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of WGBC podcast. We are a group of amateur authors sharing writing advice and critiquing each other's ongoing work. If you would like to read along, you can find some of our work over on patreon.com slash WGBC podcast. Today we'll be talking about motivation and Jess's latest draft of her story, Ides of August. Over to you, Jess. Hi, everyone. Um, Like I said earlier at the top of the show that you weren't listening to, I am coming at you from the deep, dark pit of, I guess, writer's block. I'm not sure. I've just been having super low, quote unquote, motivation and um, Lance... Can you just take one second to explain why motivation and inspiration are dirty words on this podcast? I think that uh, my opinion is that, you know, bricklayers and other people within coders and stuff probably don't feel super inspired to go to work either, but they still go to work because that's what their job is. So if you want to be successful at writing, you probably doesn't matter whether you're inspired or motivated or not, because that probably is going to happen like three or four times a year and you got to write either way. That's such a great way of looking at it because I find that I struggle when I get out of a routine. So when life gets like pretty hectic and busy and for me, it just has been, um, I had to take my dog to the vet today. Um, I've been taking like an extra course on top of my full-time job and writing is usually an escape for me. Um, it's something that I do when I'm feeling stressed out, but sometimes your hobbies can also feel like jobs and, you know, it's important to keep going all the time when you, even when you feel like you don't want to. And I caught myself listening to the first time I was on this podcast talking about the actual craft of writing. And I sound so inspired in that time. Like it's such an easy thing to do, to wake up and do every single day, but it's really not. And I just want to level with you guys that I've really been struggling with this story, with feeling excited to sit down and write. And to be honest, like having been a novelist um, in the past and having written books in the past, you're not going to feel super motivated and happy to sit down and write every day. Every single book I have worked on, I have gotten to this point. It's kind of like a make or break point where you have to decide to keep going and to push through. And very often you get like, cause you're at the bottom of the valley right now. When you start climbing that peak again, it gets exciting and happy and fun again. And, you know, you write a scene you really like, or you feel really great about something. So even if it's not feeling good now, just know if you keep pushing, you probably will get to a point where you feel like really awesome and cool about it again. Um, but from, but you know, I'm hyping myself up here because I'm just really not feeling this friggin' story right now. And, um, 
all my romance author friends on Radish are just releasing all their wonderful, like, cozy autumn romances right now, you know, with men in, like, quarter zip sweaters and women holding pumpkins and everyone's just falling in love over, you know, on that platform. And I'm kind of here being like, why? <laughs> why am I not writing something fluffy and easy and just, you know, sugary, syrupy, sweet like that? That's really something I want to be writing um, in this moment instead of, you know, a breakneck pace um, thriller set in the ancient world, which takes a lot of time um, to write. What I'm doing here actually is kind of like the writer's equivalent of eating your vegetables where it doesn't feel good, but I actually am expanding my craft and learning how to do different things well and taking a step outside of my comfort zone, which is important for us to do as writers. And I'm hoping the reason why I'm participating in this exercise is because when I go back to edit the book that's like kind of like my baby, Spellbound, I will be able to infuse certain moments in that book with um, the thrill, action, adventure, tighten up the storyline, you know, clean up some of the sloppier bits. So this is all part of that process. And yeah, I just wanted to level with you guys um, and, you know, because sometimes I think we come on here and we're talking about how much we've written and how well it's gone and blah, blah, blah. And it's just really not always the case. Um, But here I'm just going to rattle off some ideas. Like I know we don't say like inspiration, motivation, but just some things you can do to maybe get you out of that writer's block um, phase or like the deep, dark hole of despair phase. Um, Make sacrifices and trade-offs like you know, you need to like sacrifice your time or like put in the time like I've said before in the past, you know, I need to listen to my own advice here. So just sit in front of your computer and try to write, even if it's for five minutes. Don't wait until you feel like writing to actually write. <laughs> Jess, do you hear that yourself? Please take this advice. Um, you know, be around people who have already written books. So I'm here with Pat and Lance, like, every few weeks and we're doing it together. So like, thank you to this community for sticking with us. Um, You know, it means a lot and we're all in it together. And, you know, you have to start where you are. So I think sometimes we get so caught up in thinking about how the climax is going to work or like how all these things are going to fit together. But like the truth of the matter is like you're sitting down to write like 500 and a thousand words. Like you need to start from where you are and like, yes, have those things at the top of your mind when you're writing, but know that you have to get there. So Don't worry so much about what's in the future of your book. If you know what's going to happen, you know what's going to happen. I would suggest starting from where you are and just trying to write the next 500 words because it's a lot less intimidating when you're doing that. You know, and this one's kind of funny, but I really liked it. Um, Connecting with your future satisfied self. So um, for those of you who are writing your first book, you might not know this feeling yet, but for those of you who have finished a book, and I know Lance and Pat on the podcast will probably relate to this, like the feeling of it being done is so great. It's like you've just finished running a marathon and 
it's a huge accomplishment. And you become part of a very select group of people who have actually done that in their lives. You know, so many of us say we want to write a book, like we we don't want to die without having written a book. And you get to say that to yourself. You get to look yourself in the mirror and be like, hey, I did that. And it's a great feeling. So connecting to that feeling and knowing that it's going to feel great when you're finished, that is something that you can take to help get you to the end. And yeah, I, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at right now. So sorry for this big rambling um, half rant, but I just wanted to be real and, you know, it is what it is. I thought that was a great half rant. And I think it summarizes, it talk, it, it really hits on all the, all the hard things. Like, and most of the time, I don't really want to write. I almost never want to write, but, um, I like, I really like the idea of my story and I want to get it out there. But then when it actually comes time to sit down and write, I, it's, it's horrible to sit down. I'm going to steal another quote from Brandon Sanderson. I heard him say in one of his lectures, he said, this is a, one of the, a, a solid rule for life. Think of the things you want to have done and then go do them. I don't really want to write a book. I want to have a book already written. So, but that means I got to go write it. No, so, totally. Exactly. And it's hard. And, and, but that being said, the, I get so much satisfaction out of knowing that I wrote that first draft that I have an actual hundred thousand word novel done and the quality might be suspect. I'm okay with that. I still did it. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And the other thing I'd like to point out is that, um, you know, from season zero, when we were doing the writers group before we had a podcast, Jess submitted her baby book, Spellbound, and now was working on another book. Uh, I think that the she she's talked about how she's less inspired by the current book, but I don't think there's a downgrade in quality. The writing is higher quality, I would say now, of course, because you're more experienced than it was before. So I would say that your readers probably can't tell what you wrote while inspired and what you wrote while not inspired. It doesn't probably actually make a difference in your actual writing. You know, um, thank you. Okay. So first of all, like, thank you for that. And this doesn't have to, it, it's, it's nice to hear those words, but like it don't, don't worry about making this like the pump up just thing because I like, I need to also just motivate myself, but I, I appreciate that so much. Another thing I want to say is like, you know, real authors struggle with this all the time. Some of them have allowed it to stop them from writing. Yep. Very popular authors. Very and I'm not, ones. Yep. I'm not throwing shade at all, but you know, you like Harper Lee said that she was so terrified to even write another book. George R. R. Martin like he has two books that that are supposed to come out and like he has stopped guessing when that's going to happen. You know, Patrick Rothfuss like is leaving us hanging on the end of a trilogy for 11 plus years. Like, you know, the more like you procrastinate and like hold back your art or like don't practice your art, like the harder it's going to be to get out there and like start again, especially when you're in the middle of something, you know? I like what you said about uh, like the make sacrifices or whatever. Like I hope all the listeners are aware. Like we all have full-time jobs. We're making this podcast. 
we're you know busy people with regular ongoing lives but you have to like carve that time out and it's yep. gonna bite into something maybe uh absolutely yeah hell yeah anyways yeah it's tough to always find a spot to do your writing <laughs> i um also i was you know i'm 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 doing the pump up everyone right it's like it's actually i was trying to point out like it's hard for everyone and everyone feels unmotivated I've told you from the last books, like, oh, I felt really didn't feel great writing this part. You can't tell the difference at all. Nobody's been it's able to true. tell the difference. No, it's I think, true. And that goes for everyone. Tell when, I, I kind of am against this one. I think you can tell when the author's like having fun with a part. Like, oh, that must have been fun to write. I think it's possible. But those those parts that are fun, I think are very few. They're going to be fun anyways, even if you had written Yeah, they're going to be fun grouchy. anyways. Yeah, I guess yeah. So. yeah. Like, for example... <laughs> Like, maybe this is, like, a bad way to, like, write. But I have this idea for a scene in my head in a gladiatorial arena, you know, with, like, you know, Augustus and, like, the Vestal Virgins. I can just see it in my mind's eye and it's going to be friggin' awesome. But it's, like, working up to that and making sure I'm hitting all the plot points, like, to get to that particular scene. Like, it's, like, literally pulling teeth. You know, but it's, a, yeah. but here's the thing with writing. Like I always say, it's a compulsion. So, um, I've been really, obviously we did our Lord of the Rings episode. Please listen, um, if you have a chance, but like, I've been reading a lot of Lord of the Rings fan fiction and I'm like, oh my God, I read one that was over, I think it was 150,000 words. It was incredible. It was so good. And I was sitting there being like, Yes, you did this, but like you just donated 150,000 words and all that time and effort for like literally what? Just some people patting you on the back. Like, thank God people do it because then people like me go on and read it and are like, holy shit, like this is amazing. Like, thank you so much for giving me this. It's 3 a.m. I can't fall back asleep. Like, what else would I be doing right now besides reading about, you know, um, Aomir and Lothiriel, who I don't know if you know, Lance, but they get together. And there was a million fanfic about like their relationship after that. And it's just addicting. Right. Like it's truly addicting. Um, and but part of me was like, you know, this person has the capacity to write this a beautiful full length novel, maybe not of like the exact thing she wrote, but like hell, Fifty Shades of Grey was based off of Twilight fanfiction. You know what I mean? Like there mm -hmm. are ways like if you're, if you're doing that, like go write your own book and like market it and sell it on Amazon because like you're doing, you're basically volunteering all that time to go somewhere. So yeah. I mean, if that's what you like, that's what you like, but yeah, absolutely. Um, just like, you mean just cause you can't monetize it? Well, yeah, just cause you can't like, you can't monetize it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was like the wrong thing to say because in my past, like with writing fan fiction, it was a great way for me to like just kind of test out my writer chops and everything. But like if you're going to write that long of a story, like, man, write it for write it for money. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why do the why do the like easy version of a hard thing? Just do the hard thing. You're just I'm do the hard doing thing. it already. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, now I'm feeling kind of motivated. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also want to point out that. I, I have been like, I didn't write for two weeks. I did my last submission mm. and then we had that week off and we had the Lord of the Rings pod and I didn't write for two weeks 
And then the every day that passes where I didn't write, I got less and less. It felt more and more daunting mm. to get back into it. And then like I didn't do any planning or anything. And then I kept getting stuck on tiny things. And um, my solution for that was was really helpful. I called me and me and Pat had a, t- a talk for like an hour or something where we talked about my next chapter and where I was going with it. Uh, and that was, and that was really helpful. And that got me excited again. Right. That's uh, so important. Did you start since that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've started. Oh, nice, I've started. Right? I've, I've uh, got a, oh, probably over a thousand words um, since our chat. And I'm probably looking at the whole thing being 5,000 words total. So that's pretty good. That's really good. Right on. I'm jealous. I haven't started yet either. I'm in a bit of a rut, but it's less of the like I'm unmotivated or uninspired. I want to write. I just have been learning how to tile floors and then waiting for shit to dry and then doing it at the anyways. Home ownership, eh? Pat's in the middle of a renovation and we pray for him because uh, I just moved my stuff back into my kitchen. I'm a whole new man now. I'm ready to write. (laughs) You reclaim that space. There's nothing yeah. worse than living in a renovation. No. Like that that to me is like, you know how Dante's seven circles of hell? Like that and waiting in line at Service Ontario. Living in a renovation is like level one. Service Ontario is like level two, you know? And then obviously they get progressively worse, but those are pretty bad. I um I think what you can gather from this is that I'm not sure a whole lot of people actually like writing. But it's still actually kind of awesome. I get to talk to my colleagues here. Something that you have done. That's the best explanation I've heard. It's something. The same reason why you go to the gym or you whatever. Go for a run. You want to have done it. Yeah. Unless you're one of those whatever runners high people that genuinely actually enjoys running. You want to have done it. You don't want to go running. Yeah. And we're all here. We're still writing. We like it. I guess we still like it. I don't know. It's okay. All right. Should we get into the uh, summary? We open with Milo and Cassie pondering Dr. Palmer's journal, which Milo is worried that they're not going to be able to read um, because it's so ancient. And then we go to see what's happening with Hugh. Basically, he is worried that he's gotten himself into something he cannot get out of. He's had to sign a lot of papers and he's currently being flown to the city of Alexandria in Egypt along with Ulrich Best and all of his cronies. They disembark off the plane and get into a car. Ulrich drives him through the city of Alexandria along the way telling him that he has some very special friends that he'd like Hugh to meet because Hugh is an expert on the Emperor Augustus. And those friends have some questions for him about the Emperor Augustus and how he thought. At the end of the car ride, they pull up into the port of Alexandria. Hugh gets out of the car and while he's admiring the city, someone cracks him over the head and the world goes dark around him. We then go back to Cassie and Milo who are in Rome and the rip is being opened for her, especially in the company headquarters. She is told to go through the rip feet first. However, she forgets this advice as she's kind of mesmerized by 
what's happening to her and she goes through hands first and she feels someone grab her and pull her into this different timeline and her hands are bound as that happens. And then we go back to Hugh who wakes up in a very mysterious environment and he's not quite sure what's happening. So as I said in the earlier segment, I could not tell that you were not inspired. I thought that uh, this was again a breakneck pace. Um, It was, uh, I just wanted to keep turning the page and I was kind of bummed out that it was over already. And so, uh, which is exactly how I felt at the last, at the the end of the last one. And you are kind of writing a thriller story. So that's exactly, I think how I should be feeling. So uh, that felt great. Um, So uh, I'll go through my comments one by one here. Uh, At the very start, when they take out Palmer's diary, and Milo says it's been a thousand years. I know it's probably an expression, but it's definitely been two thousand years. And um, that's I think a good Milo point. would know that. You should say two thousand <laughs> years because it's yeah. like exactly two thousand years. No, you're right. Um, I really liked when they uh, spoke Latin together. That was really cool. Um, and then he said that she would sound foreign to an ancient roman or too or too she was on foreign or too formal and too formal to an ancient roman so i thought about this a little bit i was wondering like but i actually think it's it's good because cassie studies ancient rome so she probably pronounces her latin like the right way instead of pronouncing it like italian and yeah and i think milo's the expert right so we can just trust him on that i think that was really good I was really surprised that they could open that Sadie could just open a temporary rip. Like now I'm kind of wondering how prevalent are these rips? Like, can anyone kind of like, like Ulrich had to travel to Alexandria to get one and he's the richest person in the world. Or did he travel to Alexandria with the express purpose of opening one there? It's probably easier to travel. That's true. Unnoticed. You can't fly in the, that's true. That's a good point. Oh, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I'm still like, it also seems like it seems like I'm I'm interested to find out what causes the rips. Like meaning like will it eventually like everyone have one? Or is there a limiting factor? I'm very interested in that. Um I like the character reveal about Milo over uh, overall with that the first chapter. I really like the character reveal about Milo. Um and obviously the for sure the reader saw it come like coming. Uh but it was still really, really effective, I thought. Um we recovered an artifact. We recovered an almost magical artifact, which is Palmer's journal, which he left in the past. And that's super cool. And I think you you must have that in the genre. Like recovering artifacts, that's what we're here for. We're not reading the story to just do stuff. We want cool artifacts. Uh, so I thought that was really great. Uh, the Hugh chapter had a phenomenal opening line where he said, I'm either, I've got to be either the smartest man on earth or the dumbest. And I thought that really accurately summarizes his situation. Uh, Ulrich Best, at one point, he, they clear customs. Do, does the richest person on earth clear customs or do you just kind of do whatever you want? I feel like, do they have to clear customs? Like, I don't know. I have no yeah. idea. I'm not the rich man. There's right? rules, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, come on. But maybe it will show how rich he is if he doesn't. Like, or maybe, maybe the, um, 
or maybe there's like a like maybe but like they are landing and like the guards are coming up just to meet them maybe i can finesse that a little bit i think that i'd like to you know what would be cool would be like if Ulrich shakes a hands with the lead guard and they have a little bit of banter in Arabic or something, because they're in Egypt, right? Right. And then he's like, oh, what was that? And then and then uh and then Ulrich can turn back to 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 Hugh and be like, uh, like uh, fastest customs you've ever been through, eh, buddy? And okay. then go on. I don't know, like a power move, right? Like that would be a super power move. Okay. Okay, I'm down. Um, for I that. don't know, like you know, I'm sure like there's got to be a faster way for the richest man on earth to get customs. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But like this guy's obviously sinister and he's definitely got all sorts of people in his pocket doing stuff, right? Um, I thought so 10 people know about the rip. Like half of them are in that room. That's a lot of people to know a secret. It's a lot of people to know one secret. So I'm really excited to see how that works out. And if anyone unexpected at the end of the story, maybe does know, you know, Scooby-Doo, the gardener was a gardener all along. Like maybe some unexpected people know about the rip and are going to do something. I don't know. One thing I was wondering about is the countdown. The countdown where you have 72 hours to go in and get Palmer and get out. Right. So my issue with that is what would like say the purpose is Sadie's sending them in to get Palmer because they're the most qualified people to go get Palmer because they are historians of ancient Rome. But if the clock expires, I mean, it's not like Sadie can like, it's like, Oh, we'll go in and we'll come in and get you guns blazing. I'm not sure it really works. Right, because like you can't send a SWAT team who doesn't speak Latin into ancient Rome to find someone that they don't know where he is. Sure, you can. So I don't know what's that. Can you not go in? Well, and how would they find him? Kill how a bunch of him? ancient Romans and take Palmer and leave a bunch of like. Yeah, but where's Palmer? Scars in the timeline, but you if get your mark. They'll find him. They get maps. But yeah, but those maps don't say where Palmer is. I'm just, I'm, I'm sure there's, I think what, like, this is a textbook one sentence situation. It's just something we need to think about, I think. Well, it would be like you have 72 hours with or without him to get back. Because the rip. Or we'll closing. close the rip. Or we'll close the rip. Yeah. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Mm. That's awesome. Okay. But I don't think you explicitly say, or we'll close the rip. No, no, think, no, no. Okay. Okay. And I would say that explicitly um, because otherwise I was kind of like, well, well, anyways, yeah, I would just say that. Okay, because that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I'll close it up. Awesome. Maybe that was a reader interpretation problem on my side. No, just, no, but. I can make that more explicit. I, I also thought that that they were sending the SWAT team if they didn't finish or whatever. That's good. They are not sending a SWAT team. <laughs> I, I thought that... <laughs> um, I thought the Cassie chapter ending was awesome. Uh, and it really raised the stakes. You know, they that she she gets into this room and then these people are just suddenly tying her up, speaking Latin. These people walk in. She has no idea what's going on. This is not at all what was advertised to her would happen. I have a hot take about this, by the way. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, like, what do these Romans know? Like, these Romans seem suspiciously well-informed. 
about time traveling future people. Um, and like, not that scared. I mean, how scared would you be, you know, to like trap someone from the future with future weapons and stuff? Like, I don't know, probably pretty scared, but they, they've, they've got information from Palmer or someone else. So I think that's pretty cool. And my last comment is I'm trying to think of like these kind of thriller treasure hunt stories. And in general, do they often change perspective frequently? Because I feel like I'm not, I have not, I don't know if I've ever, I have probably haven't read one since the Da Vinci code, but I feel like in these movies and stuff, they're usually not like multi-perspective stories. They're often like more or less one, you follow one person or one gang of people that are in the same place. And I just love that yours is multi-perspective because I think it's so awesome. I love multi-perspective and different people in different places doing different things that come together. So I think that's really, really, really cool. And maybe it is standard for the genre and I'm just out of loop, but uh, I think that's really cool. All right. I have a lot of the similar points actually. Um, So I I don't know if this was rattling around your brain and that's why you answered this question for me or, or if you remembered, I even asked it, but last time I was like, yeah, I'm curious how the time travel with the rip is like generated or if it's always in one place or if there's two of them or whatever. So you kind of answer that question right away in the story into like, obviously they have some way of creating a rip if they can have a temp rip. Um, so then we get to like the travel sequence with Hugh and he's on the plane and like, he's a little nervous about flying and, uh, what's the rich guy's name again? Um, Best, yeah, Best is uh, whatever, sleeping, and then he gets in, like, his cool car, and Hugh thinks it's, like, you know, silly to be driving such a... Anyways, it was a travel scene. It wasn't fast travel. It wasn't too long, but we, it was a good chance to, like, get to know those characters, so I thought you did a good job with that. Um, oh, I like the line, uh, and it, this is definitely one of those lines where you're making the reader feel smart. Like they've already figured it out. Like the great city would have been a sight behold in past days with the huge lighthouse welcoming ships into the Harbor. Like we know that he's going to the past. We figured it out. We're so smart, but uh, anyways, good little wink at that. Um, oh yeah. The 72 hour stakes. I, that's awesome. Um, we needed some, some stakes, especially in, so in time travel things, I always, you always have to be careful about timelines. So I'd like that you did it this way. Um, because obviously if you are capable of going back in time, you, your present elapsed time should be irrelevant to the past elapsed time, unless you make it so that there's some way of like preventing you from getting back or whatever. But like, it's not like Palmer is getting more and more trapped in the past. He's, the present time shouldn't affect the past time. Like time is elapsing for Palmer separately from Cassie. So anyways, all that to say is 72 hours to get back through the rip makes sense. But saying like, we have three days to figure this out and then go back. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I like the uh, very eerie, like the transmissions coming through from the rip um that was very interesting and it did kind of like my alarm bells were going off like 
you know, people aren't just talking or it's like, whatever, maybe she's mesmerized by it, but I felt a little bit validated thinking that when, you know, she's grabbed when she goes in, like there are people kind of waiting for her to go through that rip. And I was also thinking like, all right, these are a lot of like silly instructions, like feet first. Sure. You know, don't yell, of course. Um, And I totally understood with that laundry list of instructions, how she screwed it up. Uh, so when this isn't like, this is my misunderstanding. Uh, and I know now based on your summary, I thought Hugh went through the rip and that's what hurt his head. So I was thinking that the feet first was maybe to prevent her from hurting her head, but I guess he got whacked in the head and then wakes up presumably through the rip. Um, so I, I'm mixed up on that, but I think my next comment is still valid. Um, so I like that they separately took different routes, but then within the story, go through the rip at the same time. And I like that you've addressed sort of through, well, you've given Cassie stakes. Hugh's stakes are different, but he definitely has his own stakes. No, no timeline necessarily, as far as we know. But uh, you had Cassie, that was identified that, uh, you know, 10 people know about this and we're concerned that maybe some of the people who know about it are using the wrong way or more people know than we think. So now I'm figuring that for sure Hugh and Cassie are working for the opposite sides of this. Hugh's probably working for the bad guy. Cassie's arguably working for the good people and, and like they're going to meet up and Cassie's going to be foiling Hugh. And even though they started out on the same team. So I thought that was good. Um, yeah, they're being kind of pulled towards two separate missions. I assume, I think are opposing, um, Yeah, so that's all I have. Short short section, but uh, I can kind of see, I guess, um, it's kind of those getting to the next scene. Like, I think you're probably the big scene that you had in your head was going through the rip. And then getting them physically to the rip was probably slower to write, I'd imagine. I didn't think I read it slow, but now having known that you were in your pit of despair, I can kind of understand that that was maybe a more of a pit part but to read it i like i think that you needed it we do need to get to know the characters it can't just be action 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 and you didn't waste too much time getting there so uh anyways that's all i got well thanks guys thank you actually i'm feeling more inspired now after chatting to you guys and, and listening and and thinking about it like think you know it's it's a good point that lance had earlier about talking with the people in your life about your story because I think sometimes like the pit of despair happens when we're not sure what the next right move is and sometimes the only way you can like formulate that in your head is by talking it out you know and this is again why writers groups are important because not only do they hold you accountable but if you actually get to talk about your work and work through some of these problems it actually makes it easier for you to go back and and write and you know think about the story unfolding from the eyes of a reader, you know? So this, again, like, just thanks, guys, so much. Thank you. Section was awesome. I just want to turn the page. Any any hot takes, Lance? I do have one. I think, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think you made a bit of a big deal, for some for me, of going through the rip in a specific manner like head first or feet first or whatever. And then she went in 
the way that was not the way in the instructions and bad things happened. So I'm going to take a wild guess and say that the, the, that going in feet first, she would have been totally fine. And maybe she would have ended up in a different place, but she went in hands first and Sadie would never explain why to a mere peon. She would just expect you to follow the exact directions and not make a mistake. So that's, I think that there's a secret about the magic there where the way you enter the portal affects how you come out of it. That's my hot take. I agree. And I would add that I think that she's not in the correct time. That she's gone oh. through and is a completely different place than she was supposed to end up. Even maybe not by that. too long. Like maybe it's, maybe that she'll catch up to that time. But that's what I think. Press fast forward, yeah. Also, I guess my other one is I think that Hugh is through the rip now. But maybe that's not even a hot take. Maybe we're oh, supposed already. to guess that already. Very if interesting. If he's not through the rip now, he will be soon. Yeah. I think he got bonked over the head and thrown through the rip feet first, probably went to the right place. So he Poor doesn't guy. know how he got back in time. Vis-a-vis, no. he doesn't know he can go back. Oh. Cool. Yeah, they never explained anything to him, eh? No. no. Sign papers, He's at the buddy. mercy. Yeah. I know I said this in a previous pod, but I just love that they make him sign papers. <laughs> It's like, what Big is time. that actually going to do? Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, But if someone was like, sign this stack of papers to me, I'd be like, oof, that's a big time like tough guy move. You know? I love that a present day archaeologist slash historian is the one who's going to like, is the most important to have Kobach. I mean, I guess he like knows the future. He knows what happens with Emperor Augustus. And he probably has... But I just think there would be so much broken telephone about how Emperor Augustus ever was back in the day and like all of what of his motivations would have been and people get really like confused and things get translated. But it's a, it's all they have. They don't they can't go back, get one from 100 years after Augustus. They have to get one from 2000 years after. So anyways, I think that's really funny. He's going to go back and be like, oh, well, and he's going to make mistakes, I assume. He can't possibly have everything right. I think the amount of things that we argue about for thing for people that lived that long ago, you're a lot wrong no matter what. <laughs> for sure. Um, so Pat, do you want to introduce the um next segment because we're trying some stuff out here? No, I can't. We need some theme music, guys. Help us out if you listen to this show and know theme music. Should we drop our email? wgbcpodcast at gmail.com send us your theme music and we'll use it for jess's new segment fanfic or classic lit where she reads <laughs> us a segment of work of her choosing and lance and i have to guess if we think it's fanfic or the real thing and there's a couple more coming but yeah theme music send it our way oh my gosh how fun would that be are you going to tell us what the work, what the original work is, Jess? Well, I think it's going to be pretty obvious. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a selection from either the actual text of the book or an excerpt from the fan fiction. It will not be long because I think if you take too long, it can make it obvious, okay, 
one way or the other what it is. So it's going to be a short little excerpt. And I want you to put your little thinking cap on and decide whether that is from the fan fiction or from the original text of the work. Um, And yeah, we'll have some fun with it. Okay, are you ready? Ready to go. Born ready. Okay. Aragorn rose to his feet, his hand gripping the hilt of Andoril in silent warning. I have told you my decision, and I never wish to hear this matter raised again. He roared, you do not fool me. Uh, I have a guess. I'm ready. Okay, go ahead. Think of your guess. I don't want to influence it. I'm ready. Okay. What's yours? I think it's fanfic. I was going to say classic lit. Is that your final one? Yep. Yeah. So that is actually from a fanfic known as Web of Treason by Linda Hoyland on fanfic.net. It was published September 14th, 2005. Um, And it is over 140,000 words and has 1,500 reviews on fanfic.net. Yeah. Shall I read the... um, I guess that's what you do, fanfic. 1,500 reviews. That's impressive. That's it's very impressive. You know, and that was written like 2005. You'll sell books, I guess, for that. No kidding. Okay, so I'll just read you the summary because the summaries are very short on here. Um, okay, to save the tortured captive, Aragorn, Faramir must forfeit his own honor. Can one do evil in the service of a greater good? And will both King and Stuart survive an ordeal that tests their friendship as well as their fealty? MC Award winner, 2005. I don't know what MC is, but it was an award winner. There you That's go. That's great. That sounds awesome. Good. I know. It does sound awesome. I'm like, oh, maybe I, I should read this now. Okay. I'm going to say one thing. Yeah. I I could be completely wrong with this, but the word roared, I think that that, that, was, that tipped me off. Maybe Roared shows up all the time in Lord of the Rings. I, I don't know. But I just feel like mm-hmm. that's not a very Lord of the Rings type board. And it's not. It's also kind of like a little bit out of character for Aragorn. To Roar. But, but now grabbing. But like, you know, grabbing the hilt of his sword. Not really. Um. Yeah. And there you go. There we have it. So Pat was fooled by the fanfic. Were you fooled by the fanfic? Let us know. And um, we'll play another round next week, or we'll do one where I read a one-star review of a classic book, and the guys have to guess which book it is. And that one is also guaranteed to be funny because I used to do it as a drinking game in university, and people would laugh a lot, so. I'm nervous for that one. Unless you want to try one right now because like they are just I'm gonna try one. (laughs) Okay. Do we have time? (laughs) Yeah, we have time. Okay, one second. Pat, you might need to do some editing here. Um It's uh what should we name this one? Um One Star Reviews with Jess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Welcome to One Star Reviews with Jess. Where Jess reads us a one star review and we have to guess what uh, classic literature it is reviewing we'll work on that <laughs> by um, um, uh, like uh, when we say classic lit it is in the canon of the great works of english literature of all time oh okay so we're it's actual classic lit it's yes. gonna be like like okay 
I hope okay. it's not Huckleberry Finn. I haven't read it. So I have a one-star review queued up here. And if you're really stumped, I can read another one. Um, but I think you will probably be able to guess it. Um, like I said before, this is a book that has been added into the canon of great literature um, by professors. It's a very well-known, popular book that has been made into film, TV shows, still captures the imagination of people everywhere, especially the girlies who love to watch this, sometimes in the autumn. Okay, the soundtrack is like very famous in some circles. And um, yeah, the girlies love this one. Okay, so this one-star review on Goodreads is from Rex. The most overrated book in the history of literature, the plot borders between meaningless and trivial. I was forced to read this book in ninth grade English class. This was perhaps the most tedious school assignment I've ever received to date. For several pages, a lady remarks to a man about what wonderful handwriting he has. Not exactly gripping material. The entire book seemed to be about hormone-driven, marriageable age creatures trying to outwit each other in word and on the dance floor. The book itself is bad enough, but to complicate matters, women pledge allegiance not only to this book, but also to the gazillion hour movie. Gazillion hour movie. Oof. I'm not I can't even sit through a normal length movie. I know. No fifth business. I feel like I read this in high school too. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Can I guess the author? Yeah. Jill, what's that boat or that book? Uh, um Jane Austen? Yeah. It's a Jane yeah. Austen book. <laughs> Lance has got uh, it. Is okay. Okay. Can no I more. guess which one? Yeah. Oh, Pat, do you have a guess? Did you hear what I said? It is it is a Jane Austen book. Lance I got have, that I right. Have a, I have a guess. I wrote it down. No, I can't remember what the book is. I'll think of it in a second. Okay. I'm gonna go with Pride and Prejudice. You're absolutely right. Pride and Prejudice. Ding ding. I wasn't ding. gonna guess that. I'll keep my <laughs> guess to myself. Oh man, that is Sahara? hilarious. No, Women pledge allegiance to this gazillion hour movie. And I'm like, yeah, it's not for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen or actually I haven't read yeah, it. Read another one. I want to hear another one, sir. Okay, let's see. These are fun. This is really fun. They're all, these, these two little games are fun. We'll okay, do you want me to do a different book? No, do yeah, 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 book, another one, sir, of you to top it off. Okay, um, I'll have to do something. No, still do Pride and Prejudice. Don't want to waste other books. Okay. There's a lot of books in the world, Pat, with one star. Yeah, reviews. I think there's like a lot of books here. No, I'm going to sure. do a new fine. one. This fine. is pretty funny. And it's also good because it's good to just remind yourself that. Um, yeah, you're never going to get everyone to ex- like your book. Exactly. So yeah. just keep writing. Like, because, yeah, people, you know, you're not going to be to everyone's taste, right? This is amazing on Goodreads. It just lets you organize by like one star reviews. <laughs> Okay, so this is another classic book, also written by a woman. Definitely not a romance. I read it in first year university English lit class. Um, And yeah, also a good one for spooky season. Okay, (laughs) this is funny. (laughs) 
I had this professor in college who assigned this book, so I thought I'd read it for the third time because maybe this time the character's whining wouldn't kill me. The professor was kind of an abomination in a lot of ways, but not the worst professor ever. Anyway, I'll never forget going to class for the lecture on this book. The professor was lecturing in this caught you with your hand in the cookie jar voice and said, The main character is a very, very bad guy. Sorry, that's my impression of that's that That's your professor. professor. So what I knew from college about the structure and influence of the novel was that just that everything else I learned on Goodreads. This author is the Elizabeth Gilbert of the 19th century. Yes. Horrifying, but for the right reasons. And don't try to tell me those, um, that author and Gilbert weren't writing a horror. That's just silly. Wow. That person really did not like this book. What book do you think it is? Who's the Elizabeth Gilbert of the 19th century? That is 100% wrong, just so you know. (laughs) I'm not going to get it. I have an engineering degree. I I won't have read this book. (laughs) Oh, okay. This is another good one star. An annoying scientist and an ugly tall man fight over who is more depressed. (laughs) (laughs) That is honestly... A very legitimate thing for this book. <laughs> so it's a book mm-hmm. about an, an. You know, if you're stumped, I can just tell you, but because this stumped. is just too funny. <laughs> okay, so just to recap, it's a horror book um, with like a bad character in it. Um, that like has a female author so um if you're screaming the name in your car on your way to work the book is indeed frankenstein oh yeah of course (laughs) a scientist and an ugly tall man fight over who is more depressed that is hilarious that's funny i like how he managed to not use any words to directly give it away that was the perfect clue for this game it really was monster like undead creation you know then we would have figured it out Someone else wrote, this book made me want to go commit die. However, I do stand Miss Mary. She was a bad bitch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, guys, you know what? Hopefully we all get famous enough to get some of those great one-star reviews on our books on Goodreads one day. We all need to aspire to that. I already know all my mind. All the names are unpronounceable. Um. All names are unpronounceable. Uh, there's no character development. No, I'm kidding. There's there's character. There's character there is development. actually right, character development. Right, guys? Phew. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no need to worry. The author thinks too highly of his uh, ineffective reveals. <laughs> I th- I'll fix those in revision. Don't worry. I'll fix them in revision. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have for today. Check us out over at patreon.com slash podcast. We'll be back next Monday to talk about my book, Milkweed Monarchy. Thank you for tuning in and remember to just keep writing. Uh, did you guys find it at Jess? You found it at the Value Village? Oh, hell yeah, I found it. Listen, yeah. they have all the other Twilight books. I think people want to keep their first editions of like Twilight. Um, but yeah, I did I did find the find it at the one on uh, Maribel. So don't go there because it might That's... you might not have one there. Uh, when I went to the thrift shop near my house. I went to cash out. This is before we had our Twilight Cat Chat. And the monitor 
was propped up on three books and the top book was twilight and the other two were the identical size and i was like oh use twilight to to to, to stack your modern like we gotta do something with them after we uh or maybe to start the book our writers club book club book club um we should all throw a a review into the void on goodreads for twilight okay well We'll each craft our own review. Oh, I love that. I love that. 